0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Simply Walk the Talk. I am your host, Joshua J. Holland. And today, we are going to talk about what it means to be elevated. I, myself, am currently ele- elevated, and my guest on today's show is as well. And we're going to discuss all that, what that means. Um, today, we have Mr. Charles Flanagan on the show, and he's a celebrity trainer, as well as an authority in all things cannabis-related. Charles's training philosophies have been developed from being a successful track athlete himself to coaching national champions in that field. The one constant throughout his life has been strength training and being able to make ordinary athletes and people into the extraordinary. Charles discovered cannabis several years ago and found that the therapeutic and medicinal benefits cured his addiction to alcohol and pharmaceutical drugs. He is a firm believer in a holistic approach to being the best. His thirst for knowledge in both fields have made him sought after authority and training and A cannabis consultant welcome to simply walk the talk our bodies and minds adapt to what we do most of the time if you want to change your body and mind you must change what it is you do most of the time this podcast explores all things health wellness fitness lifestyle and biohacking Stay tuned as we explore various thoughts, methods, and experiences from a multitude of conversations between our interesting guests and experts through many fields of work. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Simply walk
1: the Simply
2: walk the
0: Now, today I want to welcome Professor X. He's known as Professor X, and we're going to talk about why, right? But uh, this gentleman is a bona fide superhero. You know, it's like if you look at him, hopefully you're watching this show um, so that you can kind of see his physique. We're going to be popping up a lot of videos and photos and things like that. But um, Mr. Charles Flanagan, welcome to the show, sir.
1: Man, Josh, man, it's good to be on it, man.
0: Yeah. You know, it's... um. It's really fascinating that um, as I prepared for this show today, I obviously I like to do a lot of research uh, behind either the products, the companies, or the people that come onto the show. And as I was developing more more insight about who you are, it reminds me just how closely aligned you and I are. You know, we both are African-American. We both are uh, known as quote-unquote celebrity trainers. And we can talk about that, like what that even means, because... I know we have the same, similar sentiment around that term, celebrity trainer and what that even means. Um, we also are cannabis advocates and consult- and consultants. Um, and, and we also support this idea of bringing about personal development and mental health awareness. And so, all of these things, I want to make sure that we get the opportunity to dive into today, so that people watching and listening to the show can can take something from it, but also so I can continue to learn more about you, and you learn more about me, and we just chop it up. So, so yeah, thanks for being here.
1: And BJ, like I said before, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been a, a big admirer of your work from afar. You know, you kind of talked on the, uh, you went over celebrity trainer it is it's one of those topics or those terms that's i always tread lightly around but you know when you're talking about trainers they're a dime a dozen you know so when you train you know people you know say to the likes of what you have oscar isaacs you know madonna you know Gigi, like those type of people put you in a different kind of landscape you know so um you know it was kind of you know important to me to uh i don't know more or less being to the forefront the guys behind the scenes you know we live in a culture now um that is starved for you know how how the diy you know do it yourself so when you see these people you know they're they're enthralled with them and they want to get some insights to you know how could i do that myself so yeah man it's uh as far as the the celebrity training landscape and uh you know you and i i'd say the the only celebrity similarity we have is the You you you're so much I'd say broader in that skill, you know, the people that you've trained, the things that you've done, Brody. So, I'm I'm so honored to uh, to be here, you know, and to be able to kind of talk about these topics with you, man. So, and and the fact that you're, you know, a consumption advocate and that uh, you know you like to stay enhanced and elevated, like myself, I'm really excited to dive into that. I think that has been something that uh, a lot of people don't have the insight on, especially, you know, the practical applications, how to, train yeah.
0: with it.
1: And I'm just chopping it up, man.
0: For sure, yeah. You know, I I definitely want to hop in here and just kind of um, highlight the the benefits of social media. In fact, that this is happening simply because you and I we I don't even remember exactly how we got connected, but I'm I'm happy that that happened. Um, and as I started to kind of see more about what you do, I'm like, wow, you know, and like you would throw some some content out here out there here and there. And, you know, I would, I would share it or I would like it. And, you know, and then finally we, we had the opportunity to, to, to talk on the phone. And of course, if you go to, to Charles's Instagram, uh, you know, it's like, it's obvious this guy is, is, is a, a complete specimen when it comes to like the aesthetic, you know, he's very much in shape. You can tell that he takes care of himself. And so just off the bat, I know, like, you, th- there's a lot of work that goes into that. Right. But then when I talked to you on the phone, it was like, that didn't matter. You know, like we connected on so many other sure. things, right. Because that didn't matter. And and that's what I love when it comes to talking about someone who, who treats this space similar to how I do, which is like, it, almost, it doesn't matter who we worked with. You know, like these things can maybe display that we have a certain amount of of experience dealing with certain levels of people and things like that. But like when we talked on the phone, it didn't really matter, like who I've worked with or whatever. We just were able to chop it up knowing that we have a lot of things in in, in common. So, you know, I, I would love for you to talk about your upbringing. Cause I know when I listened to one of, you know, a previous podcast you did, uh, that was one of the things that I first related to, I think is, is we have a similar Background and and how we were raised. You know, I was raised in a small town in Chandler, Oklahoma, approximately three thousand people, and it was majority white. You know, like literally, all of my, you know, all of the the black people in my community, or most of them, were my relatives. It, it's simply put, you know what I mean? Like that's how it was. And so I would love for you to kind of talk about that and maybe how that has shaped you into the person you are today. Uh,
1: no, thank you. And- I think that's largely what kind of helped you and I connect. Like, there are no—I'm um, a huge proponent. There are no laws of attraction. There are no coincidences. So I'm like, look at your profile, resonating with a lot of things you—you know—you do. But when I started to, you know, l- listen to your podcast and when you listen to you interact, <clears throat> just your grammar, your dialect, i like, oh, he's—he paced in his cadence is very similar to mine. So then, you know, it prompted me to call you, and then I'm like, we really tapped in. That was when you started talking about your upbringing, which. Mine, very, very similar, right? I grew up in a uh, in uh, the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, Kirkland, Washington to be exact. So uh, the area I grew up in was majorly white. Only black people. I, I don't think that I saw another black person uh, in a class or even in my school until I was in sixth grade. You know, my, the only other black person in the school other than my brother would have been my uh, my dad and the principal at that time. So, so uh, you know... It, it's funny to be reflective back it, to look at it now. Now, as a forty-three-year-old male, like I have so much gratitude for that upbringing. But at that time, and it wasn't easy. Um, where I came, where I came from, I came from uh, Orange County, California, melting pot, uh, and I was exposed to all different kind of cultures. Like I came from a, an elementary school, or classes traditionally, 50, you know, fifty children to a class. To when I moved to Kirkland, it was twenty kids to a class and me being the only one of dark pigment was really heavily exposed and i I went through a lot you know how you talked how you were the differences that now i think it's kind of great they're being a little bit more uh, celebrated weren't you know they were exposed and they were you know i was you know ostracized more often than not so like what i am now is an amalgamation or it's an adaption of having to learn how to adjust to living in that dynamic because you know, a lot of people don't realize man being black in a, a majority white area you know as a young guy in the 80s it was, it was very hard it was very very hard Absolutely. um so you and i had very similar stories like and i like you know and, and i talked to you about them how they shaped is you're able to be in a world and, and interact with everyone you know like um, i have siblings and, and family members who have been around nothing but black people it's great but they only know that culture and they only know they're very culturally centered so when they have to go outside that dynamic they struggle you know they struggle and i think largely that's because our internal dynamic as far as our culture we're very emotionally driven and i think you know from outsiders you know caucasians and others it's perceived as uh they they take the emotional dynamic and they context it like that's angry that's this that's that and it's just not it's just how we are you know we're very emotionally expressive whereas you know, the, the Caucasian dynamic that I learned, I learned that they don't do things that way. They're not expressive that in that way. They're not vocally or emotionally, you know, but there is, you know, expression. It's just a different way. So um it just gave me a, a better understanding how to navigate that landscape, you know.
0: For sure. I, I The thing that um, comes up for me is, you know, I'm curious how you how like how your background was. Were you an athlete? growing up as well like were you because obviously yeah. you're very fit right now you're very big mm-hmm. and and what i'm trying to do is kind of draw this 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 idea or this narrative around at least what some of what i grew up with which is and maybe you can tell me if you relate to this but i grew up with this this huge background of martial arts and what that sure. meant was you know so we're talking about african american brother like me and my brother right and we were known as the karate kids right and you know we had this this like everyone knew in our town cuz remember it's a small town everyone knew that we were the quote unquote badasses right and we were also expected to to be the badasses and so we got challenged all of the time because we were quote unquote supposed to be the badasses like we, my brother and I got yes. Black Belt when we were 11 and 12 and so, not only do we have the pressure of of having to be good athletes because of our of our, you know, uh, I guess our gifts, right? You know, like our gifts of being right. being black, but also like we were the the children of the sensei. Our, our dad was our sensei, right? And we <laughs> were ranked in the in the country, or we were ranked in the state. You know, number one and number two in the state. And so there was so much pressure around having to perform. And and I looking back on that, I realized that I had to learn how to navigate all of that from a very young age. I had to learn, like, what's the best ways to deflect certain situations? Um, How do you enter a room knowing that you're the only black person, knowing that you're going to deal with a certain amount of uh, judgment, right? Also, mm-hmm, speaking mm-hmm. in a certain way and having to navigate the difference between being amongst my my non-minority gr- groups and being amongst my minority groups, right? The, being amongst mm-hmm. black people, we would always get told, my brother and I, because we we speak well, right? We're intelligent, we're educated. We were always- You sound talking, white. Why you talk white, bro? You always talking so white, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, I know that's a yeah. kind of a, a long preamble into trying to come, you know, bring something out of you, but like, can you touch on that?
1: Yeah, no, it is, man. It, it's because you have to, you have to navigate and tether to the two worlds. So yeah, I absolutely played sports when I came from California. California, the melting pot. You know, like I, I spoke Spanish. Um, I had. I spoke a little Tag- tagalog bro i spoke romanian i spoke all these different dialects because that was what i was exposed to i moved to kirkland I, I you know there's nothing but you know just you know whatever um so there was no athletics i think the first kids that i saw were uh, they were out in the field and they were playing football i, I never played football i rode skateboards back in cali because that was a thing everybody's right skateboards it was, the, it, it was it was what everybody did in the 80s right um <laughs> nobody was doing that in kirkland Yes, yeah, see and nobody was doing that in Kirkland, so I saw them playing football. And so they're like, they grabbed me. They're like, "Hey, do you play football?" I'm like, "No." They're like, "Well, you're fast, right?" I said, "I don't really know. I've never had to race like that." So they gave me the ball, bro, and it was a wrap. You know, I couldn't catch. I couldn't do anything from that standpoint. But I was incredibly elusive because I, you know, I, I, I just, I just was was as far as our attributes. But this is once I started playing football, I got into some of those things that you're talking about, Josh. Like. I started to, uh, you know, we got into, it was Boys and Girls Club, which was the football, um, you know, grouping that allowed me to play at a youth, in the youth level. I started playing when I was eight. Um, When I got out there, I think it was, it wasn't really obvious until I think about the second practice. And the second practice was when it was like um, certain little microaggressions that like I've now kind of gotten accustomed to and conditioned to now you know, like, you know, you guys are known for that kind of thing, or, you know, you should be used to that, or, you know, and it's things that, you know, now, like, I, I kind of dismiss, I, I, I dismiss, and I didn't even know what they were then, you know, so absolutely, to your point, um, you do, you you learn these things, you're aware of these things, you're exposed to these things. But also, I want to touch on something you said, It when you're around both areas, you, you almost get into a point where, you don't know where you belong. Mm. Hey, Did you ever get to that? Like I was, so when I was in uh, school, I played football and then uh, football was going great. And then I found out about track. My dad was like, hey, you need to run track to make you faster in football. So the track team that I was on was my school team. That was, you know, like, you know, everybody, whatever. Uh, but then I went and I tried out for a select track team and it was all black. Okay. Uh, i start, you know, on the first practice, I'm not really doing all that well. I'm getting gobbled up by these kids because there's so many technical aspects about sprinting that people just dismiss every day, you know, and, um, I just didn't get those. And I didn't know those at that time. Uh, so the coach sees me and, uh, you know, the kids aren't even interacting with me because when I'm trying to talk to them, I don't sound like them. So they're like laughing at me. Like he sounds white, whatever. They're just dismissing everything that I do. So the first practice was just hard right so we leave and i'm not thinking that i'm doing really well because i'm getting just lapped by these kids so i don't think that i made it you know but my coach was able to see like he's got an amazing gait he's got a lot of fluidity he's got a lot of natural things these intangible things that you can't train right Mm -hmm. so i was sent to come back but that time you know being exposed to that team which is all black is an awesome experience but i was exposed to, to to what racism looked like in the reverse you know how your own culture can be so hard on you, and not only you, but other people, even you for accepting other people. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember our first track meet. I had a, a track meet. I was so happy to be on this team, and everybody knew about them because when you went to these national level meets, they were known, right? So I get to my first meet, and I'm so excited. I bring out a bunch of my my, my schoolmates out, right? They're white, you know, they're Caucasian, or whatever. So, you know I end up running my race they sit behind me and the lady who runs the team didn't really say much you know and she smiles at them acknowledges them you know they walk off she's like come here come up yeah she's like you know what did you do I said I didn't brought my friends she's like don't you ever bring them to you know to this meet you know I'm like what but they're my friends but they're they're you know what they're white I'm like wow I just didn't realize it was like what so to your point it, it is it's something that is not really talked about it's not it's it's never talked about it's it's kind of brushed over but it's definitely something that you know I'd see has a lot of impact and it's definitely helped um, shape my landscape and even to wh- where I'm at now like I, I do, you know, we say celebrity trainer, but I have executives that I train and professionals, you know, um, and they come from all different shapes and walks of life, you know, all different colors. But I can relate to them, you know, because I know I speak that language and it doesn't matter what color you are. You know, I know what that language is like.
0: Yeah, to to, to dive down a little bit more in that rabbit hole, um, you know, like I, I think w- where I see this, and again, I like to do a lot of reflection in, in the sense of truly reflecting versus being in a depressive state, right? You know, I don't I don't like, you know, cause I do a lot of work, right? On, the, on my emotional, my spiritual path, you know, like I do a lot of personal development work and I know you do as well. Um, and so when I look back on it, I kind of try to boil things down to some simple concepts. And one of the things that I think was important for me, and I think it's important for people to hear is this idea of perception. Right. So if I looked at my life, if I perceived my life to be from a disadvantaged standpoint, like a scarcity mindset, then woe is me, and now life is happening yes. to me, I got dealt a bad hand, whatever, right? But that it is important to acknowledge that, right? Because we can acknowledge that all of us have that within us, but then you can also perceive it as, and which I think I, I think I did, I perceive it as this was my empowerment. This is how I was powered, right? This fueled me to be the best I could be, because it's like, if I wanted to, you know, I, I sense these little microaggressions and I used to always kind of like, uh, wipe them off and push them off to the side thinking like, ah, you know, sh- surely that surely not being racist, right? Like surely not being racist mm-hmm. about, about mm-hmm. what you're saying, mm-hmm. but like, you know, I, I go back to the story when you said these kids came up to you and said, you're fast, right? I mean, that's it's like, come on, man. Like, are you coming up to me because like, because I look like uh, my, I should be on mm-hmm. the field? like, you know, did anybody come up to you and go, hey, you, you're good at math, right? Probably not. Right. <laughs> right. Probably not. Right. And, and, but see, that's what fueled me to be the best in my class academically because I knew that this was happening to me. Everyone expected me to be one of the best athletes, and I was. But when when I talk to them more about the fact that I had a perfect attendance from kindergarten all the way till I graduated, they're like, wait, what? Because that's not expected. That's not expected. That's the extraordinary piece, right? And- Mm -hmm. You know, I was involved in all kinds of 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 uh, recreations at the school because I enjoyed being at school. And so when someone would would try to come to me and, and uh, like I, I recall when I was in um, high school trying to determine when I wanted to go to college to play basketball, I went to loads of different schools to compete. And when I went to the mostly white schools, it was easy for me to stand out. Right, and how I dealt with that was I just walked in with confidence, and it's like, oh, I know I'm gonna crush them, and then I got humbled. I got humbled because there was a few white boys out there that put it on me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I just remember searching within myself when I went to Texas. I went to a um, a junior college in Texas that I wanted to like possibly look at, and when I got to the school, it was nothing but black people, and one of the first things I noticed was that there was bars on the windows of the college right bars on the windows and i'm like what and i get into the to the gym and it was nothing but brothers in there right now remember i grew up in majority white i talk white i have right. light skin right i get all that beef right it was, oh, uh, who's this yellow bone coming in here right like, yeah. Get. and so one of the ways that i was able to break through all that was to be the best person on the court Right. But right. what happens to those that don't have that? So that's why I say that that for me was perceived as a fuel. It helped me to be the best I could be, because no matter what they say, they can say all they want. But I know I'm a bust they ass, And then by the time right. I leave, I got all the respect. So but I not everybody has that opportunity to do that because right. we might not yeah. be in a space to be the best on the field. So then what are you left with? Now you're left with, well, they're racist. I don't like white people, and you know, because white people don't like me. But there's so much that can be gained from all that, right? And so I know it's not a question, but I think it's important because I've never talked about this um, this in depth on the show. And I know people out there that are listening to this are they're gonna be like, oh, wow, like like you experienced that? Like, yeah, I've, I've had hundred percent. I've had a gun pointed at my face, saying that you're not gonna date my daughter because she was white. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. like, this mm-hmm. is what I grew up mm-hmm. with, but it's like, I can talk about it. And then you can hear people say, oh, you're dwelling on the past and this and that. Like, no, I, I've worked through it, you know, but there are times when it, when it gets me, I was just at a play last night and, you know, they, they said the N word because it was a, it was reflective on a 1960s time period. But like, I have to be honest, like what came up from me was like, I kind of laughed it off. Like I always used to. And then you kind of mm-hmm. go, oh no, it's the period piece. So okay, that kind of makes sense. I'm justifying some of these issues rather than just talking about it. Like, what does that really mean when somebody does that? You know?
1: <laughs> right, right. So, oh my gosh, you know. Mm-hmm. Keep going. No, I, I was just gonna, you just, and I, I, I hate, I, I don't, I want, don't want to be so obtuse to interject, but when you said about you know hearing that word and you know really trying to dismiss some of these things and, and and it hits hard man it does because um you know the other day i was talking to a good friend of mine and you know he was we were talking about uh you know giving the difference or it was a washington thing and he was talking about the difference between um you know color and culture you know making the distinction you know and helping people to understand, you know, like, even the fact that Super Bowl, to give it context. You know, the fact that, you know, it's a, a focal point that this Super Bowl this year has been played by two black quarterbacks. The fact that we're even talking about that should just kind of give a lot of credence to just the, the client that we're in. You know, like, yes, you know, there's a lot of milestones and and we've moved quite a bit, but I think that there's still a cognitive dissonance between what, where we should be, you know, and uh, I think that's the struggle. And, you know, to, to the point that you're saying, I think, I don't think now after navigating both landscapes in my, my closest friends or everything, right. You know, the woman who I profess to be, like my mother is like this little, you know, white Italian lady, right. You know, she raised me. So my, my, my point, and I, I think you, you have it as well, is a lot of it has to do with understanding, you know, those same kids that I grew up with, you know uh when i was you know when i was in third grade who would call me word and uh, wouldn't talk to me and all that are like my best friends now and, a, and largely it has to do with a lack of understanding you know it, it really it had a fear-based mindset it came from their parents and their parents and their parents before them you know so you know like i don't think that any of it stems from hate at its core I just think it's, it's a lack of understanding. I think that the more that, you know, you have these conversations and you're you're able to, you know, like find a, an area of understanding, like it's, it's not a right and wrong. I think that's where people struggle, you know, when they're trying to have these conversations about black versus white, you know, and race, you know, it's like, well, that's right or that's wrong. No, it's not about it. I just need you to understand. We are different at the core level. We're just different, you know, and that doesn't mean bad or good. It just means what it is. And you know, we wanna, you know, like try to tiptoe around that. But I'm like, it is what it is, and it what makes us so great, you know. Mm.
0: You know, it I like, I don't want to belabor this too much, but and and I think right after this we'll go into our pomodoro break, which will be a perfect um sort of segue into another topic. But um, I know one of the things that we talked about on the phone when we first talked, and I think this is is very much worth mentioning because it, allow, it should allow everyone listening and watching right now, it should allow each of us to kind of check our thoughts about other people, right? And that concept is because your name is Charles, my name is Josh, Joshua, right? You speak a certain way, I speak a certain way, right? And it's happened since I was a little boy and it still happens today. Let's say like someone is meeting me for the first time, uh, over the phone, right? They hear my name is Josh, right? And I mean, it, it happens less today because you can go to social media and you can Google now and all these things. But I remember being the co-founder of a, of a prominent company working at and managing a super prominent facility here in New York City. Okay, I won't name name, name names because it's not relevant at this point. But like, I remember when we were first doing some of the the first interviews of like, the, the members, because they have a lot of weight in this in this facility, they wanted to, like, talk to the founders of the company, right? To kind of figure out, like, where they fit in, how can they schedule, you know, who are they going to work with, what's your training team like, we want to see pictures. When, when they wanted to see pictures of our trainers, I thought that was kind of like – I mean, I get it, right? You want to make sure that they look fit, okay? But I quickly realized that they wanted to also see some other things, some other – attributes of the person not just Mm -hmm. physical attributes but they wanted i mean you know they wanted to see a number of things right and i never forget my business partner and business manager his name is earl he talks like you and i do okay he looks like you and i do he's more closer to your skin color than me okay (laughs) but he and i talk the same we have names that sound a certain way right And the first time that a couple of these members met us in person after talking to us on the phone, conference calls without video, they were mortified. Like they literally could not imagine that Earl and I were the founders of this company that's going to be overseeing their programming, overseeing their health and wellness. They literally came up, a couple of them came up and was like, "Uh, yeah, I'm here to, to see Josh and or Earl. And I'm like, hey, stand up. Big smile on my face. Nice to meet you. Yeah. It's like this pause and they scan you up and down quickly. And it was like, uh, oh, you're 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 Josh? Yeah. Yep. I'm Josh. Cause they expected a Jewish person that looked a certain way, right? And and again, like that's those microaggressions that I know that when when you really take that and use that to empower your situation, it's like, like you said, it's ignorance. And how can you you can either attack that and then sort of validate what they already think about you, or you can help educate, mm-hmm. you know? You can help bring down those barriers. So I just I think that's an important topic for people to just hear because it happens all the time. It happens more than we realize it. We can say all we want, oh, I'm not racist, but we all have prejudices, all of us do.
1: Right, mm-hmm. So. I, I like what you said about the name one, because the name one, Jay, is so easy, man. My, my name is Charles Flanagan. The minute I say that people are like the stop the pop it's what it's Charles Finnegan. Oh, nothing about that's black (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, you know, so that's your name. So that's your name no, man. It was the one that I can find. It was the one that sounded sense. It was the one that was going to give my, my my butt the most credibility. Yeah, bro, that's my name. You know what I mean? So, you know, even something that simple, and we just dismiss it. We are dismiss that that is a microaggression, which in turn is kind of racist. And, and you know, we can go down a rabbit hole, and We got to get to our pomodoro break. But, you know, people, you know, they, they, they there's always that misconception, that misconstrued between racism and prejudice. I think that we all... Carrie, I love to give you a prejudice, which to break down the context of that word, prejudice, prejudge, we prejudge everything. You know, you see that guy and I think that the prejudging or the prejudice that we have before, it made sense, right? Prejudice at its root is a survival technique. You have to prejudge every situation, you know, at its core. But when you start having, you know, terms like racism, like I don't like that person. I'm not only taking prejudices, but I'm now having hatreds and feelings attached to this person based off race come on, it, it makes no sense. You know, I think that, you know, even, you know, coming up, that was the only thing that I've struggled with racism. I've, I've understood prejudice as is, is, is long as I can remember, you know, one of the things that I preach to my clients and you and I can completely relate, you know, as far as being a celebrity, quote unquote, celebrity trainer, you, you don't never get a second chance to make a first impression, you know? So like the minute people see you, they're trying, they're formulating an, you know, an opinion about you. So what happens the minute you see me? I don't have to say anything i have something the minute you see me i have something that you know you can't get willed bequeathed or gifted you know you have to work hard for physique especially with you and I our age at 43 man there's always so much my genetics are going to give me right now right mm-hmm. so when you see somebody and their appearance is it's a huge you know uh you know um insight onto who they are you know what they're like you know so um yeah i'm sorry but yeah it, it is key
0: Bro, it's it's key, and really quickly. Um, you have a brother. Is he older or younger?
1: Ah, uh, I have man. So I have two brothers. I have uh, okay. two younger brothers. Yeah, yeah.
0: Two younger brothers, and and mm-hmm. uh, just just out of curiosity, what are their names?
1: Ah, uh, so <laughs> Anthony Flanagan and Conrad Burleson. You know. Okay. Okay.
0: So okay. Anthony and Conrad. So here's one of those ones I get. So my brother's name, his full name is Romario Holland. Okay, Romario, right? This is uh, it's it's like um, you know, it's people don't really. Uh, I guess they kind of expect that, right? These novel names for for black kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, okay, we call him Mario, and Mario for short can be known as kind of like an Italian name. So they might ask like that, but then. Anytime somebody asks me about my brother's name, the next thing out of their mouth usually is, is, so wait, why did your parents call you Josh?
1: Yeah. Right? Right. And it's like, Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, maybe they didn't want to, you know, maybe they couldn't, you know, settle on another name, or maybe they had too many questions about the name Romario and and this, I I don't know. But like, that's one of those microaggressions where it's just kind of like, does it matter? Really? Like. Should my name be, you know, Mubaktu? You know what I mean? Like
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know what we don't like? W- the importance of why we need to educate people on why
0: Oh, cut off so,
1: you know that they don't like, you know, you say, you know, how how did you feel? Jay? There,
0: hey, yeah, sorry, it was cutting out on my end. Uh, were you catching that, Gordon? Did you catch
2: uh, just go ahead and, and repeat it? I think it was cutting out for for both of us,
0: yeah. Can you uh, just repeat that question, Charles?
1: Um, you said microaggressions, and we were we we're talking about them, and you know, I guess my, my question to you because people don't realize the importance of why I'm making so much of a point to this. Is what they do for the person, the recipient. You know, why, when, you know, a culture or a person feels this, why is it so important that we acknowledge th- these at the core? You know, we stop these things, you know? I um, mean, people don't realize, like, it's no different than, you know, uh, a microaggression is no different than a sensitivity point that you'd have with somebody who's heavier set, right? You know, now, uh, back before the 80s were nonsense, everybody was accepted, but it was a little bit more free uh, era. But you, can- you could get away way with saying things that you can't say now we're, we're very sensitive about people's weight and appearance which is great you know there should be an steady degree of sensitivity but it also goes for the microaggressions and race and culture you know with the super bowl going on with so many different things there's so many things that people throw out and i'm just like why would you say that that's not okay that doesn't make me feel okay but it's it's, it's still you know you get so sensitive about this why are we sensitive about this you know even that word even I don't want to spend too much on it because it'll go down a deep hole, but even the N word, you know, the biggest thing that I get asked, I get asked from my, from blacks is like, are you okay with somebody white saying it? I get well, from my people, are you okay with, you know, somebody white saying it, you know, and, 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 and why on both sides? And, you know, the, the answer that I always have to do that is that we are talking about a word that now has so much meaning and symbolism that it impacted a whole race of people so at some point do you think that we need to have a collective discussion on the powers and the impact of this word you know that people have died for this word so you know you ask me you know can i say it or you ask me if you're black should i say it or you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that same dissertion. I'm gonna say you do realize that wars have been fought. People have lost their lives, right? Over that word.
0: Mm. So that's heavy, bro. And 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 again, I don't want to go too too deep, but like I I I'm certain that you understand this because I've getting I've gotten asked this all my life, right? My response used to always be no matter if it's a black person saying it, a white person saying it, or any other race of person saying it, uh, or asking that question, my response to that would be, but why would you want to say it? Knowing the impact that it may have. Right. right. It's like,
1: right.
0: like, are are you so need in need of having to, to, to say the N word because it makes you feel a certain way. It makes you feel empowered. Like wh- why, you know? And also mm-hmm. on the flip side of all of that, there's, there's this expectation of a certain response from someone that looks like us to that word. But when you don't give them that, 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 that result, then it's like, ooh. So, you know, does that mean I have to always practice depressing my emotion around that? Maybe, right? But it also, there's an opportunity to do what we're doing now is to educate people on, like, why even say it? You know, if you know... It's like, it's almost like you're looking for a fight. If you want to fight, just say you want to fight, you know,
1: mm.
0: or let's talk about what's coming up that even makes you want to ask that. Like, if you want, you like to talk about controversial topics. Okay. We can talk about controversial topics, but let's just not try to get under my skin. Cause you're trying to feel what I'm feeling. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I'll tell you how mm. I feel about that. You know? And sometimes people can't handle that.
2: <laughs> so can't handle the truth. anyway,
0: right. <laughs> you can 't
1: handle the truth <laughs> right yeah. I know well, you know the, I, the,
2: the palm of lore, but i'm sorry, and, and I want to like finish Charles, but something I really want to get both your thoughts on actually that this kind of stimulated for me as a as somebody listening, and I know the audience would like is just right now there's a, a huge sort of um, you're both at the intersection of fitness and culture in a lot of ways, you know with just being part of the zeitgeist with culture with your connection with you know celebrities and such not, but also the, the intersection of fitness and right now we're really seeing, especially with young women, but in general, this there's a strange sort of paradigm and dynamic between sort of body dysmorphia and healthy lifestyle and sort of shame culture. And I'm curious, both your thoughts, like with your clients and what you're seeing, like how you approach that with your clients. And in general, you know, there's there's just so much controversy of like, you know, a heavier set woman on Sports Illustrated, is that viewed as healthy now? And, or should we not shame and what's healthy and all these sort of things right now, and especially with, with young men and just this, like, there's an epidemic with young men trying to be healthy and embrace, you know, healthy hormones and these things, but also not trying to come off as, you know, a toxic male. So there's a lot of these weird sort of, like, like people don't know where to lo- like stand as a young man or a young woman or, like, how should I view my body and how should I, like, love myself and embrace sexuality but not, you know, want to be shamed. Like, And I think you both, you're old enough, you've seen enough, and you've seen a lot of these worlds and zeitgeists form and sort of be created because it wasn't always this way and we can you know talk about how it's gotten here but the bottom line is we're here and so when we come back i would really love to hear both your thoughts on like what the f's going on and sort of how do we navigate this where we're taking the good and leaving the bs
0: <laughs> well said great you know, question gordon uh, and i definitely right? we should um <clears throat> let's hop into the pomodoro break because i think this will give us an opportunity to kind of reset, to be able to like, you know, really answer that properly. Um, But let's go into the Pomodoro break and then we'll address that, Gordon. Thank you for that. Um, So for those who are, you know, new to the show, we do a Pomodoro break to kind of break up the monotony of a sedentary lifestyle or just um, a certain set of thoughts. And I think this is a perfect time for that. Um, So what is something Charles that you could offer in the term in the or in the form of a Pomodoro break for our listeners and viewers,
1: uh, two things that I like to do when, uh, within the terms of Pomodoro break, you know, breaking up the monotony and just giving yourself time, is like we've had a, such a great conversation, it's very very intense, and a lot of emotions come up. You know, sometimes it's good to just breathe and reflect. So every day I have my mindful moments when you know I'll do my box breathing, you know, which. Yeah, i love that it's been talked about now box breathing is essentially uh you know breathing um and holding the inhales the exhales uh in, it's in a in a basically in a quadrant right and what it's designed to do is designed to that uh vagus nerve you know that you know you know controls our uh common reset you know functions calms us down gets us back into a homeostatic gets us back into stasis so do that. Uh, another big thing on top of that after I do that is uh, I'll just have a a nice little mindful moment, you know, and I'll go on a mental vacation. I'll close my eyes, think of the most tranquil, uh, relaxing spot. You know, right now it's Seattle, Washington is being back on the pier at Waverly Park. And I'll just take myself back there. I'll take mm. myself back there when everything's peaceful, where everything's calm. Um, you know, and that's the thing that I, I think a lot of people forget about these, you know, these places, is that you don't actually physically have to be there to get the neurological, you know, response from, you know, you close your eyes, you think about it, your brain will give you all the similar responses that you need to take you back to that place. So I it.
0: love the idea of of a mental vacation. I absolutely love that. So thank you for sharing that. Could you just give us a quick example of the box breathing so that people that are listening or watching can yes. join in. And, and it doesn't have to be long, you know, but like just so give the, people an example.
1: Sure. The box breath, you know, essentially very, very easy. It's going to be inhale an inhalation for four. At the top of that inhalation, you're going to hold it for four counts. After you hold it for four counts, it's going to be a slow exhalation for that four count. And then at the base of that fourth count, you're going to hold it you're going to keep that cycle going for, for four times, you know, so that'll complete the box cycle, the breaths. Um, but yeah, that's essentially it. And that's after the four the cycles,
2: nose,
1: I, nose, nose, I I'm all about the nose. Yeah.
0: Perfect. So let, let, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do that. Just, I, I think it's, it's worth doing because again, people watching, watching at home and, and listening, If you're listening and you're driving, please pull over. (laughs) Don't do this while you're driving. Right. But um, let's just go over this really quick because I think it's important if you want to skip, you know, 30 seconds forward to skip this part. Feel free to do so. But like join in with us, because I think this will be important for both of us to continue this wonderful conversation.
1: Okay, so we're all going to start. You're going to we're going to go and inhale before count. Okay, and a thousand hold Excel hold and down hold title hold and now fold. I, I always love doing that. It's a, it's a really nice reset. Ooh,
0: now th- I, I just want to give a couple uh, tips here and there, because again,
1: you're being, a breathwork practitioner. I love again, oh, Go ahead, please.
0: No, I, I love this. And, and you're a practitioner as well. So we both do this. And I want people to understand that there's a variety of ways of, to, to do this. Right. And you may have heard a slight difference in in maybe how he was doing it because he was having to speak, Charles, that is. Um, And I know some people aren't able to breathe entirely through the nose because of certain hardware issues and and, and whatnot. Um, And, like, sometimes I like to do inhale through the nose and notice that in order to get to a four-second inhale – Sometimes it's very difficult, which means you either don't get to the four seconds or you have to you have to force yourself to breathe soft.
1: So yeah. I say <laughs> low
0: and slow, right? Yeah. Low and slow. Yes. To to that four seconds. That's important. <clears throat> and try to do it as much as you can, in, in you know, nasally. And then you hold your breath and then you have the choice of either exhaling nasally or exhaling through pursed lips or closed teeth. And what that's doing is trying to moderate the flow of the air, which helps to build up this lung capacity, which is what we're ultimately trying to work on as well, right, to get this autonomic response, but also to build our lung capacity. And if you can do this for a period of time, not only do you feel this sort of rest and digest, you know, you get to this uh, parasympathetic state through the nervous system, but you also are working on your lung capacity. So it should be like this little bit of a challenge if you can't find yourself getting to four seconds, think: Am I breathing too hard through the nose, or do I really have to work on you know my breath? And chances are you have to work on your breath.
2: <laughs> yeah, I had to adjust. <clears throat> I started off too intense, and then I'm like, all right, I think I need to breathe a lot lower and slower. And the and the sensation, yeah, when the sensation also. And I really want to get your thoughts on that question before this, but also as another follow-up, I think that with this, you guys would both be good to speak on is, um, and this would be a good transition to, to cannabis is um, the sensation you feel, especially that specific type of breath technique is very similar to, you know, a mild or semi-mild, you know, hit of cannabis. And I wonder if you guys looked into the science of, is it the similar or the same neurological things going on? I know you get natural dopamine and things from breathing, but how correlated or similar is that? And, Was there any, is that any um, bridge to how you got into cannabis through breathing at all?
0: Well, great question. Um, And, and again, I think we, we can easily go down any path that you want with this, uh, Charles. Um, I'm happy to, to, to mention kind of my thoughts on that, but I would love to hear your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that if you have any insight.
1: I've been, they've been doing a lot of studies lately and they've been talking about what the thing with the cannabinoids is they, it's a uh, pain suppression. That's the the biggest impact that they they love about cannabis is the cannabinoids suppress pain. So that feeling that you're you know you're liking that too when you have those the breath the breath work is that's also the same feeling that you know you have when you're having that breath suppressing the pain. it's it's releasing all these endorphins that you know you get with the cannabinoids. Is that about the same thing you you were liking it to, Josh?
0: absolutely. and And I would throw another on top of that, which is the the relaxant effect, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when we do the breath with or without cannabis and the breath work, like there's also this sense of our body relaxing, right? Like um, a lot of people, like you said, you take it for pain because it helps to relax our musculature, our nervous system, right? And you can achieve that through breath. You can achieve that through cannabis, right? And, and certainly certain forms of it. But you can also certainly achieve that with both. And so just me closing my eyes while being slightly elevated at this moment and doing that breath work, I literally, like, was not here. You know what I mean? I'm like I wasn't – I was on a mental vacation, as you put it. And, and I think yes. that, that's the power of it, right, because sometimes we're so amped up on, on life and we're so attached to our pain sometimes that we need to be just kind of shifted away from that, like a, the awareness mm. shift. My book It's a nice little plug, there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which we do talk about cannabis in, in the book, by the way. So um, but anyway, <clears throat> that was a great question, Gordon. And I think now is a good segue into the other question that he was talking about, which I do think is very important, like kind of like the state of affairs throughout the world today in terms of, you know, the zeitgeist. And, you know, it's like uh, everyone wants to kind of label others. And everyone is also searching for a tribe or community to be a part of. I don't think that's inherently wrong, but when you're trying to do it in this prejudiced, prejudicial way, the way you talk about, because we do have to prejudge, but when you do it in this way that's like, well, um, I need to ask you this question so I can put you in a box, Like that's the part that I don't see that's correct. That's the part that I don't like, but if you want to find a community of like-minded people because they're healthy or because you aspire to be like them or you think that they can add to the to the collective that's the part that I do like right so mm. what are your thoughts on it charles
1: oh no i think you you're right and uh, I, the thing about it is the pros kind of to your point is i love the inclusion i love how you know it's every there's so many different groups or settings that i wouldn't have seen uh, that are now inclusive in the space like you know let's look at the fact of you know the space that you and i both come from modeling and cellular training and in modeling there was no such thing as plus size models there was only one size you know and that was mm-hmm. size zero that was you know whatever and so now to see you know plus size models to see shorter stature models and to see just an array of different people is it, crazy to me because by definition just a model is somebody that just displays right um, and it's good and bad, um, you know, coming from, I guess, you know, we, we talked about terms like toxic masculinity coming from the 80s, which was a very male toxic era, era like it was big on being a certain way, being a male and now and, and speaking a certain way and, and and presenting a certain way, you know, being the macho tough guy, you know, that was big. Whereas now it's not so much, you know, like it's, it's, you're, you're okay. It's, it's okay to express, you know, be emotionally expressive and, and have all these, this, this dynamic, you know, um, it wasn't that way. And I think the only concern that I have me personally, I think, um, we've lost sight of some of the, the, the core, uh, you know, for lack of a better words, traits that I think, you know, make a male. Um, With all this inclusion, I think that also with a lot of this inclusion, you know, nobody there's no benchmark or there's no yardstick, right? So, uh, you know, being a fitness model when I was coming up, you know, there was, it was tough, you know, in fitness modeling, you were either a bodybuilder, which meant you were just this big, huge beast, or you were like, you know, just an aesthetic, just, you know, God, and, you know, and it, it took a lot, you know, and to get on the cover of these magazines, what you had to do, I mean, you had to be the top top to top so now when i see these different platforms of you know TikTok and uh, i see these models and and how these influencers that's that's cool you know it's, it's great but you know again the tough thing about that is now everybody thinks they can do that right it's so inclusive that now there's, there's no benchmark or yardstick and everybody can do it whenever they want to you know very similar to even you know and this will be super offensive to training like the training thing, I have a hard time w- in certain aspects of inclusion because I think there should be a benchmark. So say for instance, uh, I tell my, my lady this all time. If you and I were going down the uh, uh, avenue of personal finance or any, any kind of finance, would you want me to be bankrupt? You wouldn't trust me, you wouldn't let me borrow your money, you wouldn't let me lend your money if I was a bankrupt financial planner or whatever the fact. But I, I don't understand the disconnect with training. Like I, I see so many out of shape, heavier, personal trainers. And I, I don't understand that. Like whether or not you may be this brilliant guy and you understand training, you're just not applying the data, you know? So the fact that you're overweight and you're training is a very weird thing to me. I don't understand that. So, Oh, you know. th-
0: <clears throat> okay. So now this is a great topic. And again, I, I'll go back to my childhood. I'll go back to, um, cause I, a lot of this is in my book actually. Um, or, or I should say some of this is in my book. Um, and I wanted to try to paint a picture of how I was raised so that people could understand better how I think the way I think. And in terms of these microaggressions, going back to that, but also applying that to what your point that you just brought up is, so my father was the chief of police of my hometown. And he was the sensei of the only martial arts school in, in our region. And he is, you know, he was an EMT, and and to me, he was my hero, you know, and, and still is, right? But here's the kicker. My dad is morbidly obese, right? Morbidly right. obese, right? And he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't as big as he got, like, you know, a, a year ago, but a year ago, or a little over a year ago, he was at 507 pounds when he got checked into the hospital because he fell. Right. Now, this oh, is someone geez, this is one someone that would um go, you know, like I mean he would go to work and live a normal life, but you know, I say normal life, right? It's normal probably in the Midwest and now in today's world because everybody's everybody's obese, right? And so it's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a little bit more accepted. But to your point about this, you know, bankrupt financial advisor, my dad was literally the bankrupt financial advisor. I mean, not quite, but right. But he was the OB's (laughs) martial arts instructor, right? And he had my brother and I, his sons sort of represent him because we were number one and number two in the state. And we, we knocked every barrier down. Right. But my brother and I always were faced with, Hey, I thought your dad was like the sensei. I thought he was like the Kung Fu guy. like. And, and that's it. That's all they would say. But we knew what that was about. Right. Kids would make fun of my brother and I because we had this car. We grew up pretty poor. Right. But we had this old brown uh, car. Right. It was like a, a Pontiac Cutlass, I think it was. Right. It was old and it was the, the brown car that everyone knew that the smoke was coming out of the back of it. And it's like you knew we were in town because, you know, if we were going somewhere because there would be smoke. <laughs> right. But not only that, people would laugh at us because when we would drive off, they would all be pointing because my dad's side of the car was always lower to the ground than the side that we were on, right? And I learned, like without even really, I'm, I'm just now for the first time realizing that I did this, but I would sit on the side that my brother would sit on, like whether he was in the front or I was in the front, we would just intuitively sit on the other side to try to balance it out. Imagine that. Right. Imagine that. And so I have grown up with a little bit more empathy about those that maybe aren't doing what you say, you know, like that, what you brought up, which is like they should be walking the walk, talking the talk. Mm-hmm. Hence why I call this show Simply Walk the Talk. And I get asked all the time, do you think you are where you are today in your career because of your family, because of your dad particularly? And I say, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly, right? Because, you know, I have an example of where it can go. He, To this day, he's he's in an a uh, acute care facility, right? It's essentially a nursing home because he got s- to the point where his weight got so out of control that he can't live a normal life. And I know the pain that other people, when they first hear that, they go, wait, your dad is morbidly obese? How? And so I've had the opportunity to educate people in that it's not just about overeating. There is so much that goes into that. And so, oh, my gosh, it allows me to bring that up. And I'm not giving a pass for anybody who is in a training space that is overweight, not giving a pass for that or, you know, not giving a pass to the person who's a dentist who has bad teeth. But at least it allowed me to kind of go, you know, I can empathize with you for a moment. And then yeah. I ask those questions a little bit deeper, especially as a health coach. Like, how did we get here? Can we address that? Because I know the pain that they might be going through. Because I know the pain my dad goes through. Because I know the pain I went through. You know.
1: Right. No. Yeah. And I, I again, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing that. And it's it's, it's that's definitely tough, man. Um, and very transparent. Like I, this is by no means am I fat shaming or, or shaming anybody that's heavier. Um, you know, I I have clients, I have friends, um, and using i guess you know something that's very similar is i was you had your dad that was heavier right and that was the battle that you overcame you didn't carry that generational curse right Mm -hmm. so mine was addiction alcoholism my dad wasn't heavier right but what i saw was you know drinking and things like that addiction was mine so um and and i only say this to say that because of you know we we went back into how did my upbringing shape and form me is I never had any margin to be anything less than perfect. The way I talked, the way I presented, everybody's like, man, you're you're so this, you're so the the oration, my, 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 even the pacing of how I speak. Do you know how many times I listen to myself or I go over and over, or, you know, or I, cre- or I have somebody else critique? And it's been because I've gone to castings, I've had interviews, and it's been so different than anybody else. So you know, i don't say that to say um that i'm just bashing people i'm just saying that in my experience it just mm-hmm. makes it so much easier it just makes it you know i, I was always this big guy i was what you call it, you know quote unquote a hard gainer so for me to put on weight what that means is it's hard to put on weight for me to put on weight it, it requires a lot a lot you know so you know again it's another misconception people get the idea that what i am is because of ego and it's not it's it's because of sickness like i work out incessantly i do what i do incessantly because i'm always thinking that i'm never enough it has nothing to do with i gotta look good or i gotta feel good no 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 it's because i never feel like i'm enough like i'll go in the mirror i'm body dysmorphic to the nth degree so this is not a a result of ego or anything like that so you know there's there's two prongs right Wow. but i say this because when i do with all the different challenges that you have in this world with people being so dismissive and people wanting to judge and stigmatize you look at me and you're like oh that guy's cause i quasi put together you know so i don't have to deal with some of those other hurdles that's the one thing that i try to impart with those people you know like um mm. you have biohacker on your shirt that was one of the other things that really kind of connected me to you is because there's a lot of people that don't know what that is and i read your books you know like i've seen the podcast and i'm like yo man this guy is it from your breath work you know to the yoga to the everything to martial arts like what that means is somebody that's understood their body and really wanting to see what it's capable of and i'm like yo josh is that guy and a lot of people in our culture don't even understand what that means that you're a biohacker what does that mean well you know, you live day to day in this body, or you know, and, and you, you know, like no different than a car, right? You know, I have friends who have high-performance car. You can drive your car every day and never see what it's capable of. I can grab a NASCAR driver and show you things that that car, you never even thought that car could do. That's the same thing with the human body. I think a lot of people are walking around every day just going, you know, just through the, the monotony of life, not really pushing their body to the limits. You know, when you see myself and you're, you know, myself, you, you know, you see you and you hear you. You know, you can tell that this is somebody who's really putting every intent and energy into their body and to what it's capable of, you know? So, yeah, I, I know that went off on the tenor on, on where we're going, but um, that mm. was my only perfection to why I say that on how, how the aesthetic appearance has to be for a trainer. Like, I I, I really see the benefits and the impacts the correlation between you know exercise and mental health you know like I, i've suffered from depression anxiety my whole life my whole life there's a book i know you've read it uh, uh, dr rute has it, it's called spark and it's the uh it's about exercise and mental health and it was one of the books that when i was at the thralls of my addiction kind of going through it it really helped me out and you know, it basically talks about you know how exercise can you know really reverse a depressive state so when i see these guys and i know how, how you know, when you're overweight and how it starts to come, you know, that's, I uh, you know, I took, I, you know, yeah. That's it. That's the one. That's the that's one. That's it. It's yeah. an amazing book. And he, it's not, it's not anecdotal at all. The guy, you know, they have shunned this guy. There's been controversy over this book because yes. I, you know, uh, studied it in schools. Um, just about every practitioner in our space, the biohackers, we've all read this book. Or, or parse through it. But it, if you want to know how to cure yourself of, of depression and any form of dis-ease through exercise, <sighs> game changing, mm. game changing. Mm.
0: Thank you for sharing that, man. And, and it's, I, I, I resonate with you so much on so many different levels. And, and I, I, I'm certain that we're going to have to have you back on the show. And it, just because there's just so much we can talk about because, you know, like specifically now, you know, I, I, we really haven't even gotten into the thralls of of you as a trainer. We haven't gotten into any major discussion about cannabis. Um, I love that you talk about mental health because I I talk about mental health. In fact, I I work with a, a group called Reconstruction Unlimited, and um, you know the, the the idea there is to provide my support as a holistic health coach or a health optimization coach and and how that relates to uh, any sort of other like addictions or behavioral issues. And so all of that is very important with to me and and I think is um, it's great that we both speak on that same level. Um, but let's let's talk about cannabis because I know we're both advocates of it. and um, and I know one of the main things we related to when we first heard our our discussion, um, you know, that that first time on the phone, as we talked about the idea of being elevated versus being high or versus being stoned. In fact, I myself and you know, I, I know I'm not the same as this, but like even the term cannabis for me is it, it makes it more um, it, it like it's in higher regard when I use the term cannabis versus weed versus you know pot, right? Because just like being uh, mm-hmm. identified or labeled as the 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 black guy that should be an athlete, right? That's kind of what I what I think is happening in the space of plant medicine, right? It's like when you call it weed, you call it pot. You automatically associate that to the to the negative the negative connotation, right? So I try to separate that even just for my own language, right? And kind of back to that idea around the N word, mm-hmm. right? Like I if if I don't want that vernacular in my in my world, then I myself don't use it, right? And then I kind of explain the impacts of what it's like with those who do use that in my space. So same thing with cannabis, right? If if everybody is, is saying pot weed in my orbit, then it's like, okay, let's have a discussion about what we're actually doing here, right? Let's, let's have the proper set and setting mm-hmm. so that we can do what we're doing, right? Like I know you talk about using this medicinally, but let's 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 kind of unpack this this discussion around cannabis because you are a cannabis consultant and I know we relate.
1: Yeah, no, man. And it is there's so many applications that cannabis has. I think, you know, the biggest thing that I'm trying to do is, you know, open up the conversation, you know, change the you know, the paradigm and a lot of the stigma behind it and, and to show people what this plant that has been around for ions helping people for ions never killed anybody ever uh, and and what it can really do you know what it can really do and and what it you know and, and what it should be doing you know so um to to go back to you know what you said um yes i'm elevated as well too i let people know you know i suffer from depression anxiety without cannabis i wouldn't be able to talk to you you know um there's a lot of repetitive thoughts and there's a lot of things that I'm always consistently challenged with. And uh, people wonder, well, how would you eat and smoke and talk? Because I, I couldn't even do that. Well, right now with me consuming, it allows me to compartmentalize all those thoughts. Like right now, as I'm thinking of you, as I hear you talk, I can, you know, I'm able to parse through all the thoughts and everything. And I'm able to give you whatever this is that I'm saying that sounds like words, right? That sounds like a, a sentence. Opposed to when I'm not, man, it's just, it's all so much. The world seems so big, you know, and we, you and I both talk about mental health, mental health disease, ease and, and what cannabis does is being, you know, who we are and, and a lot of the, the upbringings, you know, where all of our lives are different, right? Your experiences color and shape, you know, who you are. Um, some of us can't deal with that, you know, some of us struggle with that, you know, um, and me, it was never something that was going to, it was going to take a, a lot more academic, way to palliate that condition you know Mm. and pills wasn't it it was never going to be it you know pills completely change everything about who i am um and the thing about me is you know growing up in the conventional area that i grew up in i i never wanted to do drugs (laughs) ever i didn't start consuming cannabis you know becoming a, a plant advocate until the last four years you know and it was after a lot of research and um you know guidance from the right people um, so for me, uh, you know, why I think the understanding of cannabis is important is because the world right now is is going through a lot. You know, um, there's a lot of ego out there and it really does. And on my last podcast, I went off on this diatribe. There's this little sound bite, but it does. It suppresses a lot of the ego. And the ego is the things that we're connected or attached to that we think are important. And they're really not. Males more often than not suffer from ego. You know believing in things you know um i am this i i have this or i should be this it's ego you know and and what cannabis does is it shows you that a lot of those things are important you know mm. it allows us to have healthy you know um unemotional based uh conversations that's the other thing about it is a lot of times when you know you you, you uh, have these other substances and I, I want to use alcohol you know uh, because i see alcohol heavily sourced and everybody talks about alcohol um and that to me is a drug um but when you have alcohol alcohol the minute you drink it you disconnect you you know your 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 inhibitions are thrown away that's what they say it, it allows you to throw away your inhibitions with cannabis it's completely different with cannabis it's not a disconnect it's an absolute connect of everything and every and everything you feel you know like I, I i never have decided to come home and smoke because i want to disconnect but i can always remember being an alcoholic and being a drug addict of wanting to pop a pill or having a drink so i just didn't have to feel anymore you know mm. um bro you know and another thing i talk to people you know they're like i was on that last one with sean And I was, hit. I knew that I want to talk about cannabis and I knew I was going to be berated because they were like, yeah, it sounds like you're doing this. What about this? And I'm like, you know, how do you know if you're not becoming addicted to cannabis, you know, or it's not becoming your, your new addiction. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. I think, you know, you have to look at why I'm using it. So it has to be the intent. So am I using this with the intent to check out or am I using this with the intent to check in? If what you're using it for is because you need to disconnect, you can't handle what you're doing, absolutely. I think you're addicted, and I think that cannabis is probably not the thing for you. Mm. Uh, But if you're using it because it allows you to connect, you know, whether you're that guy, you know, you have that workout session, man, and you want to hit your goals. You know what? A lot of my guys, you're karate. You know, uh, I have guys, a lot of my guys who are in Brazilian jiu I can't say some of the, the other names, but they roll bro on it. And they're like, you've never, if you've ever rolled and, and you know, and consumed at the same time, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these big MMA guys that you see, if you only knew uh, what some of these guys consumed. And I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about the fact that you and I was, you and I i can always do it um, i love the way that you do it and it helps you connect with other modalities have you ever consumed you know and done yoga sessions or you know even with your meditation josh
0: well this, this this is a great point and yes so i completely agree with you um i do i do a variety of of sports activities and and movements right and so um because i have I've found my way right um and and i want to before I continue this point, I want to say to people, there's been at least two other podcast episodes that we've done on this show that I can um, that I can recall. Uh, one is episode 137 with Lynn May, yeah. and the other is 144, I believe, with Dr. Ted Achikoso <clears throat> Both of those episodes we we discussed at like in depth the sort of like the world of cannabis, at least from their perspectives and my perspectives. And one of the things that I made sure to bring about in that conversation and anytime there's a conversation around cannabis or plant medicine is, is, is this idea of it's not just one thing, right? It's not. So, for instance, <clears throat> when someone knows that I'm, I like, that I, I'm an advocate for cannabis, they'll, they'll say to me, ah, yeah, you know, like cannabis is not for me. And then I go, "Oh, interesting that you would say that, you know, like uh what like what what happened? can you explain a little bit further? well, you know i I I mean everyone has or a lot of people have the story of taking edibles, too many edibles or <laughs> right. you know, or, you right. know hitting, hitting the blunt too much from someone that, that was mm-hmm. at the party and this and that, and it's like i I always kind of throw this idea back at them and say, okay, what if I sat here and told you, you know what?" I tried the whole food thing, but food is not for me, <laughs> right? Or you know what? I tried the whole vitamins thing. Vitamins aren't for me.
1: That's right. how, that's
0: that's what I hear when they say that, because to me, it, it what it should do when I give you that response back, it should make you think, well, no, I'm not saying that, that all food, it doesn't agree with me, but like, it <laughs> doesn't agree with me. Oh, so now we're talking about a certain subset of food. So then you're saying that a certain form of cannabis may not be good for you, a certain profile, a breakdown, a ratio. Like, I mean, we've got edibles, we've got, you know, flour, we've got drinks, tinctures, you know, ointments. So like what part of it is not for you? Mm. Right. And then have you tried all of the other forms and are you you know, and it's sometimes these are the same people who go to the store and get over the counter medications that are worse. They are the same right. ones who medicate with alcohol, right? right. Like, you know what? I, I prefer to have my glass of wine. It's like the point that you brought up, which was do you check in or do you check out? I absolutely love that. And I'm going to borrow that because it's either you're checking in or you're checking out. And mm-hmm. I'm from this camp of like, I know exactly what strains I like. I know what ratios I like. I know the best times to take it. Um, Most of the time, I'm always taking it before. I do one of these podcasts. I certainly did today, right? And and then it's like when people understand that, they go, oh. So sometimes, and I don't want to be the one here to force anyone to try it, but I do say just like everything else, sometimes you just got to try it. And you need to learn how to titrate up. Like, I would never ask someone to go from a regular shod shoe into a barefoot shoe from day one to day two. Because we know you need to progressively load the system, right? If you've been wearing, you know, a regular shoe all your life, and then you find a video on YouTube or on Instagram that shows that barefoot training is the best way to go for your foot and things like that, you might hurt yourself if you immediately go to that. And that happened to me, right? But It hey, happened guys, to me. Now, Right. Right. (laughs) right. But here I am now saying that, like, well, I could have 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I could have said, oh, barefoot, barefoot shoes aren't for me. This is what a lot of people say to me. Right. So then I go, well, have you tried just barefoot? Because that's your body. And you can't say that being barefoot is not for you because that's how we were born. You weren't born with shoes. Right. So this is how I kind of break through all of the The stigmas around the idea of cannabis, and then again, now we're not talking about just cannabis. We're talking about your thought process. We're Mm -hmm. we're talking about how do you elevate, and this is why I like to call it elevated.
1: Man, yep, yep, (laughs) yep, yep, yep. So you know, I know. But to your, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I wanted to get that piece out there and then I'll quickly address the, the you know, how I use it during certain activities because I know, you know, you, you want to touch on some of this as well. Um, yes. The, the first time that I ever tried cannabis with basketball was one of the most profound experiences that has ever happened to me in terms of fitness and cannabis use. OK, now I went my whole high school um, and the beginning of college without drinking alcohol. So I I didn't drink alcohol until I was 21. I didn't, uh, consume cannabis until I was 24. Right. And I missed out on a lot of all of that. Now I say missed out as in, you know, whether that's good or bad, right now there was most of my friends and athletes and, uh, you know, like like teammates that were on alcohol and on cannabis throughout my entire career and one of the best athletes in college that i had ever been he was actually my roommate he was uh an all-american basketball player um he smoked every day (laughs) back then this was this was really unheard of right i wasn't near what i know now about health and wellness in general but certainly back then i mean i couldn't stand this dude right because he was he was also smoking in, in our apartment and I was a roommate mm-hmm. with him, you know, but this dude was jacked. He was one of the best athletes. And I thought to myself, what would he be like if he didn't smoke? I just thought it was so negative. Like, man, he would be incredible. He would be in the NBA if he didn't smoke. But now that I know what I know, I think back to he had an advantage, man. That's like a performance enhancing Drug. Right. Performance enhancing supplement. Right. And so I tried it for the first time playing basketball and it was like the Matrix, bro. It was literally like the Matrix. I I could see plays formulating. I, um, I never forget. And I've talked about this on a podcast before, but I remember I was a little bit like all over the place in my head when I was on the basketball court. Right. Mm. I played at a very high level and I would always be like, OK, I got to remember this play because I was playing point guard and shooting guard. And I <laughs> need to remember plays and defenses. I need to know my own plays. I need to be able to call them out, tell each person in their position, plus my own position, where they need to be if they were messed up. Yeah. I also need to be able to read the defense and where they are and if there's any you know openings here and there. All these things was going on. And my my assistant coach at the time, he was a former NBA basketball player he played for the Chicago Bulls, okay? He came to me one day and he grabbed me by my jersey and he was like, "Boy, you need to calm your ass down." You need to calm your ass down. He was like, "Go go out there and play." And I'm like, "Okay, coach. Okay, okay." Oh, that made it worse. That didn't make it better. <laughs> yeah. That made it worse, oh, down. Right? right? And so now I so I'm I'm out there I'm playing, he benches me, right? And he sits me down and he was like, he was like, "Hey, boy, you need to go smoke a blunt or something." <laughs>
1: Right? Yeah,
0: mind you, he was a cannabis advocate, but like back then, you can't talk about that. But mm. we all knew he actually ended up losing his job because he smoked. Mm. Right, he lost that job because he smoked. Mm. But it was like it was interesting because I don't. I mean, I don't agree with the way that he did it, but now I understand what he means <laughs> because he was just trying right. to tell me like like hey, there's something out there for you that can maybe slow down what's happening in the firing of those synapses in your brain. And when I saw this this basketball game open up in my adult years, you know, I thought, oh, I'm gonna play every game elevated. And I mean, it's Mm. like my game completely transformed and I've rolled, Mm. I I, I do BJJ. Um, Now I will say this, I ran the New York City Marathon on it and that's something, (laughs) (laughs) oh no. (laughs) But anyway, um, let's kind of go back into your thoughts because I'm going on a tangent now, it's easy for me to do. yeah, I, I I do love the component of of being able to check in while doing physical activities for sure. Yes, yeah, sir.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things too. You know, I tell people like you, you, know, you hear about Hindu Kush. Some cannabis names have like absolutely no origin. You know, they're just whatever. But some of them have origin. Like Hindu Kush, the Sherpas used to use that. They're smaller people. They just set up up these mountains. You know, they'd have heavy packs on their you know on their back. You know, on their back. Um, you know, anybody knows if you do any kind of climbing or you do anything, you know, any kind of endurance types, you know, sport, you have your, your body produces what's called lactate. Lactate is the byproduct. That's that stress byproduct, that waste product. That's when your body feels tight, you know, when you're uh, maxing out, you know, and you feel that load or you're, you know, you're in their higher rep range and you feel that you can't do them. or You're in a 400. That lactate is is what your body produces. Um what you know some strains do is allows you to suppress that lactate production your bodies that feel the stress and the strain that you normally would feel you know when you're not in an elevated state you know you talked about rolling or you you, you. i would always do my mitt work you know i box and mitt work and pad work like you said the matrix that is exactly the way i would describe it you feel like neo when the bullets are coming at you i mean everything the way you can move yeah everything is in slow motion everything slows down I'm I'm laughing at what you said about your guy. There was a friend that I had, I hope it wasn't the same brother, but that I had it <laughs> was just like that. You know I me? Mean? He was he smoked constantly and dude was rock up. He looked like a bodybuilder when we were in junior high. He was the fastest dude. He was the strongest, he wrestled, he played baseball, he ran track, and he played football, and he smoked all the time, and he was the full-point student. And we were like, yo, if this guy didn't smoke a quarter of the time he would be brilliant and it was because he smoked why he was brilliant what people don't understand like theogens and uh you know as far as plant medicine right now you know i keep telling people they're like well you microdose or you you know you take shrooms or mushrooms i'm like yeah you, you know all of uh, that that big uh boost that happened in uh you know uh silicon valley you know steve jobs all those guys it was all fueled off of psilocybin you know so i have a bunch of people who don't uh going back to your point i don't want to do it because i feel like i lose control or I, I can't control it's not about that you know I, I think that when you surrender that part of the control you know to a lot of people you know that's when the, the gains come no different than anything else um the bad experiences you know here's something you know me being in the space there's a product called udu and i'm going to see if i can find it i don't know if the lady makes but, you know, if the product's not available, if you ever have a heavy, heavy dose of edibles and you, you don't know how to titrate that or it's too much with alcohol, if you drink too much, you're going down that hole. You either get alcohol poisoning or you go to the hospital. OK, with cannabis, it's horrible. Right. And you'll feel miserable. But the thing that's so awesome is you'll never die uh, to offset that. If the feelings are ever too much, what I would ask you guys to do is go to a dispensary and you can get CBD cbd helps titrate a lot of the psychedelic effects like helps marginalize them so i guess it would be almost like having alcohol and somebody saying getting some caffeine to kind of help curb you know the 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 feelings but on the whole on the whole you know that only happens with edibles and it's because it's so hard to to really you know dose them accurately or get the the dispersal of the cannabis the cannabinoids in the product so other than that, you know, I tell people for first time consumers, grab a joint, blunt or whatever, smoke, you can, I'm not, you know, advocate, but I'm, I am, you can <laughs> get a little puff and you can kind of feel the effects and if they're too much, you can always back it off. But with the edible, man, the edible is a tough thing. You know, it's like, I guess I would liken this to, you You can't go on a roller coaster, get up at the top of the thing and decide, you know, when you're at the top, yo, I can't get, I, I don't want this. I, I want to get off this ride. That's what it's like with an edible. Um, opposed to when you smoke the joint, you know, like it's being in the line and you know, seeing the ride and being like, yo, that's wild. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. what the CBD does, right? It's like, okay, right. yo, this is crazy. We're in the line, man. We're about to do it. You, you feel all pumped up, but then the CBD makes sure you don't have to get on the ride. You know what I mean? So you're still in the Absolutely. line. You're still getting the effect. You're still with everybody, that's the best analogy that I would use.
0: And thank you for sharing that. And again, in both of those episodes I mentioned before um, that we did on this show, I talked about that very component because it's something that I've experienced, right? Most people, or let's say a lot of people have this, what if I take too much moment, right? I've certainly been there and I never wanted to be back there. And so now what I do is kind of like having a a at-home first aid kit, part of my toolkit. For anything is there's a handful of things I always keep around, but I always keep around a very potent, uh, concentrated tincture and nasal spray, right? Because we're we're talking about fast delivery of pure CBD, right? And Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because if anyone's ever in my presence or even myself, if you ever get a little bit too much on an edible, like, hey, you know what? Try this because I know what you might be going through try this. This can help kind of cut it, so to speak, or, you know, titrate it, as you say. Um, and the other thing, too, is it's like everything has sort of a consequence. We have to understand that. And so when you sort of refine this, uh, you know, this plant, this beautiful plant that came the way it was from nature, and you make it into an edible and things like that, we should kind of understand and expect some level of a consequence from that, right? You can obviously benefit from the rewards of of sort of getting into said state that you want to get into. But you also have to understand that there may be, you know, some consequences. It's not that it's supposed to be always amazing, um, but it can be if you do it right, right? And so one of the things I like to do is consume with like a vaporizer and not the vaporizer you see on the street when people blow Mm -hmm. these big clouds of smoke, but like proper ceramic chambers where it, you know, heats it to a certain temperature. I myself use a volcano I also have – I like to use um, like a certain vape pen that is all like ceramic pieces, and it allows me to set the temperature to warm the cannabis up just to a certain point. And I also like to use rosin from time to time because it doesn't use a chemical extract Mm. to make the the substance because I don't want to also be consuming like these chemicals while I'm ingesting it as well because I have to consider like is that also giving me a certain – head state or body state, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In the space right now, that's a, it's a heavily debated topic.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, it just goes back to that topic of, it's not just one thing. It's not just weed. It's not just, this is not for me. Well, like, how are you taking it? Why are you taking that way? Have you tried this way? You know? And then like, if you ultimately decide that it's not for you, that's fine. But what are you replacing with that? Because if you're replacing it with something else, that's, Addictive, like that's truly addictive. Now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. So, oh, I feel like we could we could talk so much about cannabis, and um, and and maybe we will do another mm-hmm. um, episode on this. You know, um, I, I now want to make sure before we wrap up, I want to make sure that we talk about um a little bit more of the fitness side of what you do, because I know that's a big part of of who you are. You're also a trainer. I respect what you put out. I love, I mean, you have some of the best content that I've seen. I mean, it's, it's, it's really inspiring to see your content. And so that in itself is very motivational. So I suggest everyone to go and check out his page and Gordon will, will make sure and provide all the links for that, but let's talk about your fitness journey and how that has also helped you throughout your, your life of your, your journey of optimal health and wellness.
1: Yeah, no, my friends my are man, it, it is like, and I think that we talked about this uh, and you and I are very similar in that respect, you know, the biohacking space. Um, you only get one body, you only get one of these. And, um, you know, I, I kind of liken myself to a high performance machine, right? Um, I want to be able to get everything out of my body that it's capable of. And what my training and all my modalities, my principles are being able to help everybody do that, you know. Um, you know, at the end of this life, you know, you want to look at it with fulfillment, you know, so, you know, also with extensions on that came, you know, the plant medicine and understanding more about, you know, the brain impacts, but yeah, my, the profile, thank you for that. It, it's tough, man. I, I struggle a lot. I call my profile, the matrix. I call it my, myself, the, uh, the girl in the red dress. It's enticing. It's alluring. It gets people to look in, oh my God, he looks so amazing. And then when you talk to me, you know you're able to to see, you know, the blue pill. You're able to see the reality, you know, of everything. You know, like yes, there's hard work, man. Like to, to get to this physique, to do what I did, man. It's it, it took more. I've been weight training or strength training since I was eight. So you know, you know how your dad was the martial arts instructor. My dad saw me over super uh, like ADHD kind of kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I fought a lot. <laughs> So my dad didn't know martial arts and, you know, I don't know if it would have been the best to teach me, but um, he did teach me how to weight train. He taught me how to weight train and protect myself. So I'd say the best thing for somebody, you know, you want to feel good about yourself. You give somebody some muscles. It's the best way to give anybody who has low self-worth, self-respect, you know. So it it really has, man, I've struggled with a lot of different things, but one of the things that's helped keep it all together is you know how I've kind of kept myself together and and my look on you know health and well being. And I, again it's my 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 whole drive is to be able to impart that at uh, to, to anybody and everybody, you know, show people what it's capable of.
0: And and to this day you you still are, are training people and and I, I think if I remember seeing correctly like you're you're working on creating a facility that that you know ends up being like a total wellness facility and things like that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I do like, you know, again, we're still in the, uh, what I would love to do at one point, I'd love to have be like a wellness director or some kind of trainer for a sports team, but I I would love to get opioids out of the locker rooms, get everybody away from that, um, get a more holistic approach to how people see training. To also get people to understand the the incorporation between plants, you know, and the medicine behind that, because even you know, even, uh, you know the, the, another approach when people stop training, you'll you'll pop, you know, these insets these anti inflammatories, all those have impact. Cannabis is the only thing that you know it's anti inflammatory. It doesn't have that. So, um, yeah, no, it, it is man to have a, a clinic to be have a clinic to be able to impart all those different modalities on a larger scale. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I can visualize um, what what you said. Because I know you a bit better now and I can visualize like possibly how you would carry it out. But I also visualize the person who doesn't know you or who probably is in this state of like, oh, man, like, is this going to be a dispensary where we can also lift weights? Nah, it's not going to be like that. I can promise you that. Right. Because yeah. like, you know, it it's it it needs to be the right set and setting. And we want to treat this as such, because nowadays, like if you want to just go party, go party. Right. You can go and drink. You can go and smoke. You can pop. You can do mushrooms and you can do all these things. But like what we're trying to do is elevate the awareness around what is available. And and like you said, like that, that high powered car, how can you tweak that? You're not going to take this high powered car to the dude down the street. I promise you, you're not going to take your Ferrari to homeboy around the corner.
1: So mm. Why would you go mm. around the
0: corner to go and get something that's supposed to take you to the next level? you know
1: 100 well you know whenever anybody has challenges and you know to go back to the the dispensary you know the, the gym center i i tell them i said the the fastest man on land and the the fastest man on water they both were advocate heavy consumers michael phelps and usain bolt so i don't even have to say anything else if I, we can even go to strength we can go to weight training you know like um, a man who, who passed away rest in peace from a west coast bar bill you know everybody that i know in the space it's it's the the secret that nobody talks about that needs to be talked about so what happens when you combine that what happens when you have a center that works with all those modalities but understands how to dose with them you know so it will, it will be a very heavily scienced you know guys such as yourself guys like m- myself um you know you, you showed the the Dj pins but practitioners, people who understand it, because, you know, again, you know, if you're looking, you know, for the hedonistic element, you know, you're looking to enjoy man, cannabis has that, you know, even like you said, Susan Bratton, you know, people don't realize if you have sexual impotence, cannabis helps with that, you know what I mean? So I just want to show you just, uh, just impacts or ways of using it that you never ever thought of. Like I've never, ever, I, I have not done a workout. Here's another real, real fact. I stay around 3% to 4% body fat, right? I believe largely that cannabis, because it's a huge anti-inflammatory, uh, is, is beneficial along with my diet, helps that. But I'm not riddling myself with pills and things after I train. I don't have sub- supplements and crap, you know? I, a lot of it's plant-based. And I, I want to show people that effect and what that does.
0: Mm. Um. Thank you for sharing that. and I And I agree with you. I think... Um the narrative around the idea of the fastest man on land and the fastest man in the water and and some of the other best in other um, modalities and other sports is the common narrative is' just like, well, oh, imagine what they could have done without it. And it's like, well, you're imagining it in the benefit possibly because you have this negative connotation around it, but I imagine it and imagine it as they probably would be able to do it because of said pain mm-hmm. or because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Right. So um, it's interesting. Cause like even Mike Tyson, right. He, he's a cannabis advocate and he's one of the most fierce boxers on this planet. And, and now like there's this magazine, I think it's an online magazine called um, sports cannabis. Do you know it? Sports, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sports Cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, what they're doing is highlighting exactly what you just, what you just brought up and what I'm talking about now is they're now opening up the this this uh spotlight for those who have been regarded as some of the best athletes in their various fields and now putting them in the spotlight in a way that is beautiful. And I love that. Like I think it's like it, you know, to see that there's been people like Allen Iverson and um and Randy Jackson and like uh, so many different people like in, in in the NBA, they they're like now able to come out and talk about their use. And we all kind of knew it. But now they're able to talk about it in a way that doesn't get them vilified necessarily, you know. So I don't think we should be writing people off for, you know, medicating the way that they, they want to medicate. But it is again, it's about checking in versus checking out, and I, I think that's one of the mo- the biggest takeaways from this show so far. It's just checking in versus checking out. It's interesting.
1: But you know, that goes back largely to a lot of, you know, the mental health aspect that, you know, I talk about. My thing for usage wasn't because I was trying to, you know, be this hedonist and all that. I was trying to remedy myself of really bad toxic traits. It was the addiction. It was the the anger and a lot of that, you know, um, it was the trauma suppression, you know, so what people don't, and in the podcast I had with Sean, it, it definitely helps. It's an enhancement. On some of these things, I I didn't use it like I said to check out. I used it to check in. You know, um after I stopped with you know with the alcohol and I was you know really deep into my sobriety. You know, I went into you know my therapy. And there's parts that I talked to Sean. There's par- parts in therapy. There's there's parts in your life that you get through that you can't navigate. You just can't get through because they carry so much emotional you know subtext to them. You know, there's things that I, I can navigate and i can even look at like you and i talked and we, we oh man we'll probably have to chop it up after this but you know we talked about you know our kids and, and, and not being able to see our children without cannabis man I, I don't navigate that landscape without cannabis man i'm a shriveling i'm a, a sniveling crying idiot you know but with cannabis you know allows me to be able to look at that for what it is you know the the goods the bads even to, to see the the gratitude that i have that i'm able to experience this right now because Mm. it's not going to be forever it's not going to be forever you know so
2: helps you become the observer
1: yeah man gordon that that is it that man that's the word that i've been looking for the observer the observer you Mm. know uh without it we're we're constantly trying to live and it does it helps you be the observer man
0: Mm. That is powerful. Yeah. And, you know, that moment that you talked about that.
1: And on that note, that's, that's all
0: I get. Yeah, sorry. I, I think it cut out there for a second. But I was just saying, like, um, that that's one of those moments in Shanti's podcast when you mentioned that piece about how, you know, you being able to formulate some kind of emotional situation, right? Like, you you can formulate what you need to say And also let it come out because it's suppressing some of that, some of that ego. And now you can actually be emotional. And this is one thing, especially as African-American males coming up in today's world, right? It's like one of the things that, and I don't even want to just say just African-Americans, but usually most males in this, this, this heavily masculine society, they're taught to be tough. Don't cry, suck it up, be a man. And like, what, what does that mean? And so when you can kind of strip some of that back and you can understand that you just being genuine, being who you really are and being able to talk about that. And if the people around you can't accept that, then that should show you that that's your filter. Cannabis could be your filter. Anything that allows you to kind of understand and see to be the observer. Like we want to surround ourselves with people that are going to elevate all of us with or without cannabis. Right and sometimes you just need to be shown it you need to pull the curtains back and go ah i i see you now that's the observer right right
1: <laughs> wow. yeah oh my gosh and you know again why i'm like smiling is because i'm thinking about the experiences when you're 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 in a deep session and you're like you're you're like you're locked in you're like i'm the observer here and it is it's It's so, I don't think that people get how emotionally even that's stimulating. You know, I think even in this conversation, and I'm not, and what I love about you and I, no one's posturing for position. Nobody's jockeying because they got to get their word in. And the challenge I think with today's society, we've become so big on delivering our message. We've become so intent on listening with the intent on speaking without just, you know, just truly receiving what people have to say and just their, their presence. Like, I love what you just said, you know, as being the observer, Gordon, because with uh, cannabis, man, like I've never felt like I could be that way. I felt mm. that because of past agreements, because of past things that I always had to. And, you know, what you said earlier, going back to what you said earlier, because of who I am and what society says that I am, I have to be a certain way. Like, you know, being a black male carries so much connotations, you know, like you're this big black male. Man, like the minute you hear me, it's off-putting. You know, people are like you don't sound like I think you should sound.
0: One of the things I wanted to, to to make sure we put out there before we we start to kind of go into the last couple of questions, because I you know, we we've we've got a lot of great nuggets of information, pun intended, uh, from this from this <laughs> chat. And you know, and so I, I know we're gonna be able to to resonate with a lot of people. And and what I would like to offer for people, so I think we've drawn a great picture. With this idea of like understanding this uh, societal pressures from lots of different people—people people of color, people of non-color—you uh, know—and we also talked about uh, family situations and being emotional, and we talked about sports and we talked about health and wellness and all these preconceived notions. the The overarching idea is that like let's just be a bit more open and empathetic and learn, right? Let's mm-hmm. kind of. Let's not just say because we saw something online that that's the fact. Sometimes we actually just need to get our hands dirty and become our own biohacker and actually try some of these mm. things out. And for instance, if you're not the type of person that goes and plays basketball or does BJJ or uh, you know goes for a marathon, in fact, I wish I knew about the Hindu Kush when I ran the marathon because that probably would have helped me. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I would suggest is like, First of all, try this in your home environment where you feel the most safe, and then <laughs> you connect with someone that you feel most safe with. If you're if you're gonna do it with someone, because that sets the setting, you know, and that sets the set right. So proper set and setting, and then you can set an intention. What are you looking to do? How do you want to check in versus checking out? Right, that's important. And then I would also offer. Again, besides the, my profound experience playing basketball and having it feel like the matrix, another thing I like to do, I love to do, is breath work, meditation, and massage while being elevated. Massage while being elevated, for me, massage feels like, I, I literally feel like the person is one with my muscles and my joints and my ligaments, and it's literally the most profound experience. So if you've never tried mm-hmm. that, I suggest anyone listening right now, get a, you know, a good balance of CBD to THC. Um, make sure to have your, your high, high dose uh, CBD with you just in case. And then go and try that out. If you've ever felt like uh, massages are too painful for you, you might forget all about that if you're elevated properly.
1: <laughs> mm. Right, yeah. right.
0: So, Okay. Uh, Charles, we've been chopping it up for quite a while, and this has been wonderful, it's been fascinating. I see the cat is making an appearance in the background there. Um, I now want to transition to the last couple of questions that I like to ask on this show. And this is this is fun, and not, not to say that it's any more fun than we're already having. Um, but what are a couple pet peeves of yours? What are, what are a couple things that just get under your skin? And it can be about anything. It doesn't have to be about cannabis or fitness or whatever.
1: You know, what? Uh, we talked about this. I think the biggest pet peeve anymore these days is um, indifference. Indifference is probably the biggest one. You know, we, we live in an automation where everything is just so quick and, and we're so instantly gratifying. With that being said, um, my pet peeve is, you know, you text people and they don't respond, you know, like uh, suicide and depression are huge right and me being that, that kind of person my, my whole thing is uh, you know the indifference so um because i've suffered from anxiety and depression a lot you know sometimes it's not always easy to communicate um you know, so i'd say the biggest thing is even if it's hard for you even at the basis level you know sometimes you know text because that's one of the biggest ways that we do now is just you know communicate you know even an emoji know is sufficive but we live in a day and age of thinking that it doesn't matter you know nobody cares or you think that it's unimportant or I'll get around to it you know with uh you know one of four adults committing suicide it's getting up there now right um it's bad little things help it's the little things and and you know like I think that why I'm on this this tangent of uh or this pet peeve is because suicide's been really bad lately with a few friends that I've lost so, just communication is key. I hate the fact that we think that communication has been achieved when it had. So, my pet peeve is indifference. You know, everything matters. You know, like, you know, that person that you see on the street that has a nice blouse on, tell them, you know, never think that any compliment or you want to say to someone. Yeah. yeah. But put in context, context how the little things have a bigger impact than you realize. There's this picture that I post on LinkedIn. And it's this black guy this kid and on the bridge and then there's this police officer and uh have you ever read the book contagious you know about social currency Mm -mm. it's the picture of these two people it's a cop and uh, a guy Mm -hmm. and uh you know he's very distraught and you later on find out that the cop is consoling him because he wanted to commit suicide he was going to jump off the uh that that bridge in the golden gate bridge in in, uh, san francisco then juxtaposed right next to it is a picture of them and they're smiling they're happy and the story was, I, I don't know what the day was, but the guy had a horrible day. He was 18 years old, had a horrible day, and thought, this is it. He wanted to jump off the bridge. And the cop, who was probably my age, I, I don't think they, they talked his age, 44 or, or whatever, it talks about, you know, he's telling him, hey, look. Cop told him, he he just said to him, because he, the kid thought his day was horrible, he, he wants to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. He's like, I'm going to jump. And the, the cop was like, no, don't jump. Just give me one more day. Just give me one more day so the kid gives him one more day and i think that that he ends up going home that day he gets a call about a job he ends up getting a job because the whole reason why he wanted to die was because you know i have nothing to live for so he ended up you know living another day which he ended up getting the job and then the adjacent the picture that's juxtaposed yeah, the picture that Chuck supposed is right by it's 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 of them happy and they're best friends now um, and the reason why I said about the book, you know, Contagious, why I post that on social, you know, on social media and all that is because these stories and all these things have impact, you know, more than you realize. So what Contagious talks about is how things stick and why they stick. So stories of that, like stories when people almost lost their life and they found out they have currency and those things you want to share. You want to share those stories of, you know, somebody almost lost their life. You want to Sure, these things, and it, it talks about that. But that was the book, that that book Contagious, is the book that 50 Cent read that is why he bought vitamin water. It talks about why you, uh, or, or social proofing. That, the, the book Contagious was the book that spurred on him buying vitamin water. You know, it spurred on a lot of great in, in, in inventions or great ideas for a lot of people because it talks about why we do the things that we do. How does that video on TikTok go viral? How does that you know that story that gets 100 million shares get shared? The story that I told you, it has human impact. It has human sentiment.
0: I would love to know what is something that you are most grateful for?
1: I'm most grateful for all the experiences I've had. Uh, right now, I'm currently seven years sober. And uh, it was rough, but I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the sobriety and the people that I have in my life. And just experiences that I've had, man. Right now, I think at forty-three, this is, these have been the best times of my life. You know, without any inebriation or or anything to block me. You know, so I'm really so excited to see what the second half of life really you know brings to me. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for everything, good and bad. That's beautiful.
0: Okay, and um, what is the best way for people to follow you? to, to, you know, to keep in touch with what you've got going on? What are the best ways to keep in touch with you?
1: Yes, man. Thank you. So you can get in touch with me at my IG page. There, you know, it's uh, Professor X Charles underscore J underscore Flanagan. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter. I don't like a lot of things that are going on, but I'm on Twitter. Mm. Um, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say IG is, is a great way. I have my uh, my website profile or whatever link you can get a hold. Uh, you can also email me. Uh, you know, if you have any questions, any. Body who suffers from any suicide or disease, I put this on my podcast. I put this always out there. I I always want to see you survive. So if you ever feel like you're having thoughts and you 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 know things are too rough, shoot me an email. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a DM. Uh, You know, I'll talk you off that ledge. You know, and and, and the reason why I throw this out there is because there may be a time when I need you, and reciprocity in in the universe is big to me. So
0: that's major. And thank you for sharing that. And uh, and I'll double up on that as well. I'm I'm here as well um and uh yeah man this has been a a very eye-opening enlightening and elevated conversation and i want to thank you for all that you do thank you for the support um and anybody listening and 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 watching this show please go and check out what he's doing hit him up connect with him i promise you'll be motivated if nothing else you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna definitely make you want to work out (laughs) so thank you bro yeah cool Okay, well, this has been a great chat with Charles Flanagan. We've talked about a lot. We're going to bring him back at some point soon, hopefully. Um, but until next time, this is Josh signing out from Simply Walk to Talk. Peace. Simply Walk.
1: Walk the talk, talk talking facts Move like me, but I move a little fast
0: Make my move, here to last Fast and easy belts, I'm coming past Take care of me, longevity Hack my biology, better believe Walk in the talk, soul mind and body connected Better come give us a listen